0: i Spaces Hello and welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. Today on the Ether, into the interchain with Shade Protocol and Yumi Crosschain. Let's take a listen.
1: Everyone, welcome to the space. Thanks for being on time. Uh, We're going to give it a few more minutes here, let a couple people filter in and, and get the space started. Welcome, Fisco. Howdy, guys. Question for you. Can you hear music? Nope. Okay, it looks like uh Twitter must have updated and it gives me the ability to to play music during during uh downtimes, just like elevator music. That's
2: sick. I've got sounds now though. Goodness gracious.
1: That's very interesting. Okay, maybe maybe no more sounds, Fisco. <laughs>
2: gotta love Twitter
1: yeah it's it's wild
3: yeah hey, I was perfect I was, where did the Umi Twitter go there we go I was loving the the Fisco sounds I don't know what's up with
2: that <laughs> let's go thank you sir anytime man it's what I do
4: mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Well, guys, we'll give it a, a few more minutes here. Um, we can just kind of have some conversation between ourselves to let the to let the room fill up. Um, everyone that is listening, if you if you've seen the tweet, go out, please like and share that. Make sure that the message gets spread that we're we're in this Twitter space and that we're we're talking today.
2: Umi, guys, where are you? Where are you located right now? We're in most of us are Minnesota, and it's just wicked cold and snow everywhere. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's got to be nuts. Um, we're pretty spread out, actually. I'm personally a, a Vegas guy, you? but I think Brandon's uh, in California. We got a lot of people in Florida as well and New York, so we're pretty spread out. But uh, it's cold in Vegas right now. Nobody's used to it. All right, what you are know? you considering cold though? It's like it's like <laughs> actually freezing temperatures at night, which is just insane to us. We're not used to seeing ice if it's not in a freezer. So,
1: <laughs> my my man, it's negative eight here.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> <Sorry>. cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, no, no, no. That's that's not my uh prerogative. I'd rather walk around in flip flops that melt on the sidewalk than uh than deal with negative eight temperatures. So, you know, you guys are doing great.
1: <laughs> that's that's negative eight without wind chill. That's uh, just like
5: base base temperature
3: that's that's tough i mean brandon's got it the best brandon how how freezing is it in cali right now
5: you know it's beautiful
2: um la is beautiful right now (laughs) that's just dumb dude you know what i did yesterday i went and cut a hole in the in the lake because the lakes freeze over so it's just all it's just all ice i went and cut a hole in the lake with a buddy and then we both jumped in so that's what you're doing negative negative two filling. yeah dude it's it's real oh it's really God. good for like general health and stuff um the the jumping in the cold water but freaking cold yeah no i'm i'm good living into my like
3: my 40s <laughs> if uh if that's what i have to do to live a long life I'm hey good. well
2: you know teach their <laughs> own i guess well team uh dude.
1: question for Okay, I saw someone had requested, but then they just dropped down. Um, but I think we have everyone up here that we need, right? Yep. Yeah, we're good. Awesome.
2: Awesome. Fisco, I'll let you. I'll let you take it, man. Awesome. Well, Umi team, appreciate you guys uh, hopping on. Looking forward to the to the conversation today. We're we're freshly off our own stablecoin summit, so we've we've all spent quite quite a bit of time online in the last couple couple days. But looking forward to this conversation as well. So thanks for joining, guys. Uh, for the shade community specifically, I would love it if we could kick off maybe just with a general introduction for each of the guys that we got speaking from the UMI team. And then if you could give us like your two minute overview of the history of UMI and what you're building today. Sure. Brandon, you want to, you want to start us off?
5: Yeah, sure. So my name is Brandon Comer. I'm the head of product at UMI um basically been working in fintech my whole career um last stint was at Amazon and then I joined Umi in I think August of uh, 2021 to lead product so yeah it's been a it's been quite the ride uh, Umi started off as kind of this like hybrid ethereum cosmos uh lending protocol service um thought about building out a lot of different things on EVM but uh ultimately uh, we we chose cosmos as the home um because of you know brent's history with tendermint but also just the the wonderful like innovations that were going on with like ibc um as well as a lot of the interoperability like interchain accounts interchain security like all these things are are top notch in terms of um b- being on the bleeding edge of uh, blockchain so that was uh our history in terms of like choosing cosmos and then we've been building since I think since about July of 2021 is when things really kicked off. Um, we launched our leverage module um, while we were at Cosmoverse. So last uh, September, I think that was. It's been, it's felt like years since then uh, with everything that's gone down with FTX and all that. But, um, but yeah, we've got live leverage now. Uh, we were, we're sort of the first, um, like Cosmos first based leverage um, with like focusing on IBC assets and, and different staking derivatives and so forth um much more than you see with like the current providers so that's our focus is to be the cosmos number one mon- money market service and uh, continue on
2: awesome very very cool thank you for the thank you for the intro there i'm sure we'll get into uh product questions specifically uh but co- coming off stablecoin summit for us on on my mind at least pretty readily is the kind of broader cosmos picture um you've kind of summarized how you hopped into cosmos and why you selected cosmos and i think a lot of the builders in this space have the same same opinions um and have appreciated the ethos that cosmos has in general on community but as well as the the innovative tech stack that allows allows this kind of interoperability that we don't see anywhere else in in your mind right now what do you think is the largest advantage that Cosmos has over other ecosystems moving forward with DeFi? And where do you think it needs the biggest growth?
5: I would love to answer your question, but um, I as much as it's making me smile that Waz didn't get to give his introduction, I think we should let him give <laughs> oh, his intro. Oh, shoot, dude.
3: I'm sorry, Waz. <laughs> How dare you, Fisco? So uh, I sure. love it,
5: Cisco. Keep keep continuing to ignore Waz as much as you want. <laughs> Dude, my bad. That's my role. I just
3: kind of sit pretty in these. <laughs> All right, Waz, go for it, man. <laughs>
5: no, you're good. Yeah, no,
3: I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm Waz. That's what people call me. It's true. Um, yeah, no, I I've worked in fintech my whole career as well. Um, and I I kind of really didn't get into blockchain uh, technology until I started working over at Umi because I didn't see any sort of utilities. That were um, useful or uh, honestly uh, developable. Like, uh, you know, the, the whole Ethereum side, it didn't make a lot of sense to me how it was set up um, until it was introduced to the Cosmos. So I, I was one of UMI's earliest engineers. Um, I built out the, the Oracle side of the protocol that uh, supports pricing for all the assets. Um, essentially, we manage which assets are able to be put onto the leverage side of the module. And now I'm also the the co-founder and the head of uh, the OHO protocol. So OHO is going to be an oracle for the interchain, and we're pretty much taking what we built at Umi and we're rebuilding it uh, to service the rest of Cosmos, which is super super exciting. So yeah, that's a that's a bit about me.
2: Awesome, thanks, Waz. Sorry about sorry about missing you on the first first round through. But it's all good. Let's all good, let's man. go back and the, the question I posed after after brandon um on the cosmos focus what do you think is the for both of you biggest advantage that we that we see in the cosmos for for DeFi and where do you think we need the biggest growth
5: Waz, do you want to go first yeah yeah i can
3: take the first part of this um i mean i think the the answer is kind of uh relatively obvious here i think ibc is one of the biggest advantages of Cosmos. Um, you know, the the ability for the entire cosmos to exist independently of each other, but be interoperable and work together permissionlessly. Um, that's something that these other protocols, they just don't have down correctly. Um, you know, we, we've had the advantage of the SDK team spending a lot of time uh, setting up IBC and working together to make sure that it's secure and permissionless. And it's going to allow, um, you know, future innovations like, you know, IBC queries, something we're working on on the Opos side um, and, you know, interchain accounts is coming out. It's going to be a big player. So we're really basing a lot of all of these new feature set on that IBC layer. Um, I think part of where the biggest growth can come from is honestly um, working together as a community. Um, there's been a lot of discourse recently in the cosmos and um, I think it's Necessary, a certain amount, absolutely, because, you know, it's open source software. Everybody should be able to kind of, you know, point at each other and say you're doing something wrong. But at the same time, um, we need to be able to support each other developing better products and working together
5: rather than working in silos. Um, Brandon, you want to go ahead and give yours? yeah I mean, um I won't touch on IBC since you mentioned it, but I think just customizability I mean at the end of the day, the app chain vision is is what we think is going to win out in the long run um, and it and you see it r- winning out right now with how many folks are coming over from different ecosystems um, specifically like dydx I, I think is probably the biggest one coming over um, in terms of like what that potentially could mean for everyone so that customiz- the customizability of not having to rely on some monolith like Ethereum to like do chain level um, customizations mm-hmm. and doing things like integrating um, like you know interchain accounts and and all these different innovations and then on top of that just having a developer community that's willing to explore that innovation like you ha- you have things like ICS coming out but you also have things like uh, an alternative with mesh security and I just don't think you really see that in other ecosystems where one ecosystem can have multiple different, um, solutions and it. And it also kind of speaks to like the decentralization aspect of the community, like, because there's so many different players in this, in this ecosystem, a lot more ideas get to be explored and you see a lot more stronger teams being developed, whereas a lot of other ecosystems really rely on one. So that, that's, I think what the biggest strength is. And then, um, in terms of what I'm looking for, what's really going to kick it off, I think that, um, just maturity of the pro of the projects that have been in the space is, is becoming a huge thing. I mean, you're seeing with, with like, UMI's finally out, we're exploring more, more options with everything. Um, Osmosis is exploring things like, you know, outposts and all this cool stuff too. So just the maturity of the projects is at a point where um, it can support a much larger scale than, than when it was like, say in 2021, um, where it was much more of like a fledgling ecosystem. I just think like the ecosystem is ready now for massive usage, um, and and it's just a natural process that Cosmos DeFi will will pretty much blow
2: up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree on all those points. And another another thing with the the advantages that has been has been super cool to see is that there's there's kind of this optionality with with borrowing utilities that some of the other chains are creating uh, for for other technologies or other teams where like. For example, other teams can come, leverage secret networks, privacy-preserving functionality, and then route everything right back to their to their chain. So some of these some of these smaller tech solutions of just being able to borrow other tech solutions that are in the ecosystem uh, without having to have it kind of blanket for everybody, or not be an option, or be an option kind of as as one or the other. And then def- definitely agreed on the on the maturity. I think the last year of or nine months of bear have really kind of hastened that hasten that move to maturity. We've seen a lot of team teams fall off and a lot of teams get a lot better. So th- this kind of, this kind of market uh, situation has definitely, it's, it's kind of forged. I think the, the cosmos and a lot of, in a lot of ways and the teams that come out on the other side are really going to be a lot, a lot of strong players or players that have moved moved into our ecosystem from others just just from seeing seeing the course of everything come come through but it's it's been an interesting time and i definitely think there is a lot of work kind of on ecosystem maturity there for sure as far as interchain goes for you guys what do you see the the relationship between other chains being in in the future how do you see the interchain playing out in the future for for cosmos do you see a strong sentiment of collaboration continuing to grow over the next two five ten years in in the cosmos ecosystem or do you think that that's something that'll kind of peter off eventually as some players get a lot larger and take up more market share or do we think we we can we can hang on to this kind of community interchain sentiment that we have now
5: I think that you probably see some teetering off. Like, it's just a natural process that, you know, some projects, unfortunately, not everyone can kind can can of out, win out in the space, right? But I think long term, though, you'll still see support between major projects. Like, you'll probably see some sort of like, you know, like the whole hub structure of like, Osmosis wasn't considering like, like it didn't brand itself as a liquidity hub before. But in like recent months, that's what they've kind of taken as approach. And I think that's going to happen with a lot of things. Like I could see like WAS, I could see Oho becoming like the data hub of uh, Cosmos as well. I could see UMI becoming sort of the leverage hub. And there's a lot of different things like Secret is definitely like a privacy hub. Um, But I think in the long run, those hubs will still have to have some sort of interoperability with each other if specialization is to win out. Because if you try to do... uh, uh, There's some chains that are trying to do everything, I think. And I feel like when when you have two chains with all else being uh, equal, if one is really focused on a specific niche that's, you know, decently sized, I feel like that specification and, and uh, or that specialization will win out over someone that's trying to do like a do everything type approach. And so that's why I see like with you guys doing privacy, I think you guys are, you have a specific vision that you can attack and you know exactly what you need to do for that niche. Um, for us, it's leverage. We, we know exactly what we need to do for leverage. And I think those types of players will still co- have to collaborate um, since that they'll be focused on different things.
3: And, and to add to that, I think we're going to see a lot of overlap with um, a, a lot of these protocols that might come out. And they have, um, they have a thesis that might not work correctly. Or they, you know, they have a specific app chain that they want to bring up that's not utilized, but they still have funding to build other things. Um, I think in a lot of cases, we're going to see pivoting for a lot of these chains in the next year or two, uh, just because that's how it works, right? Um, you know, depending on adoption of name services and, you know, stuff like that, we're we're going to see different chains go different routes. And because of that, we're going to see a lot of overlap. But I do think long term, uh, what Brandon said is completely correct, where we're going to have these huge uh, projects really win out and collaborate with each other to create a baseline for the rest of the ecosystem, we're going to get to a point in Cosmos where you can build um, pretty much anything you want using existing technologies over interchain accounts, interchain queries, and IBC.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think that's probably a really good s- summation of kind of the beauty of the Cosmos ecosystem is that ability to to specialize, where with IBC with um, Interchain accounts with Cosmos, everything that we, all the tech that we see here, it really does allow that ability to specialize where you don't have to spin up an L1 that does infrastructure, that does DeFi, that does community. You can kind of come in, you can you can build what you're specifically good at building. You can focus specifically on on your niche, and as long as it's a a good niche and B has has a large enough user base, you can you can be successful within that kind of specialized range there. Now that we now that we've talked about the Cosmos more generally and off of that kind of specialization piece specifically, let's jump into Umi and exactly what you guys are building. I know UMI's UMI's lending is Ethereum and Cosmos Focus. Let's start off with how do you differentiate between ethereum and cosmos how do those work together and for your specific community or your specific product could you could you describe the differences between what you're doing on cosmos and ethereum or the similarities yeah so
5: just taking that that first part um the ethereum and the cosmos uh protocols work largely the same um we tried to mimic what we did on ethereum with cosmos to an extent um, there's a lot more customization on, on the Cosmos side because it's you have a lot of flexibility with it being your own blockchain. So we have a lot more like safety procedures and there's a lot that we're cooking up that um, that doesn't exist in Ethereum. Like for ex- like definitely the Oracle is one thing um, and Waz can get into the specifics on that. But like on Ethereum, we're using Chainlink on, um, on Cosmos. We're using our own um, because there just wasn't a great provider of that. And so there's little nuances like that. But, but the long-term vision and the reason why we even have an Ethereum protocol um, is to basically get to a point where you have bridgeless transactions uh, where you can basically have collateral on Ethereum and you can borrow Cosmos assets using it without ever having to bridge. Um, the way we're kind of thinking about doing this is with like Axelar's general message passing where basically you would have some sort of vault on the Ethereum side. You would lock your Ethereum in there, and then that would basically use GMP, send a message to uh, Umi, and then you could borrow any Cosmos asset from there. And the reason for that is really just wanting to give Ethereum users the easiest way to bring their capital into in the Cosmos, and not have to you know move back and forth with different assets. Um, it's just a little bit easier of a of a psychological sell to not have to bridge your assets and to have it more based on uh like like a GMP or something like that. Wazi, do you want to kind of get into it too? Yeah,
3: um, I think one of our, our main unique points of, of UMI is uh, we're in it for the long, long haul, right? We're not looking to make uh, insanely high uh, TVL on chain within the first couple of years. Um, and if, if you think about that, what, what we're really considering is these assets that have incredibly low uh, volume at certain times, we need to support. Because they are new assets that are coming out, they are app-specific assets like, you know, uh, staking derivatives from Stride, Quicksilver, whatever else is coming out. We need to support those safely. So we've been working on um, what we're calling the historical feature set, which is, you know, a first-of-its-kind type of oracle, which essentially um, measures the median of prices of an asset over the last X amount of time, say, over the last three days. And our leverage module uses that to essentially determine what level of positions people can uh, take for different assets. So you might not be able to borrow uh, X amount of Atom if Atom has moved uh, incredibly high or incredibly low. And on smaller market cap assets like these stride assets, if it's uh, if you're intentionally trying to tank the, the asset by using a leverage loop, kind of how the mango market hat worked, um, we'll we'll catch you. We'll say, hey, you can't take a position that high because uh, the price, uh, you moved it in a very short term and we're going to stay with that medium. So um, we're really concerned about risk, right? We don't want to build a bank that breaks in Cosmos. We want to build something sustainable for the long-term future. And um, I think that is one of our hugely unique competitive advantages. Yeah. I I
4: have a question i'd like to happen then. i'm it just speaking of risk currently what's your guys's bridging solution to ethereum is it something unique to umi does it use Axelar? or what's the existing management of bridge risk
5: yeah we originally launched with um the gravity bridge integrated i think you're cutting out a bit there buddy sorry can you hear me yeah we're all good now okay sorry yeah we originally launched with uh, a gravity bridge integration into umi um, specifically. But um, we, we decided to pivot once we realized, you know, with Axlar being like the canonical bridge of uh, osmosis, it was going to be hard to get like liquidity on UMI specific like gravity assets versus like just supporting the things that the ecosystem already has. And so that was um, kind of a, a reason for the pivot. Uh, so now what we have is basically the all the Ethereum assets that are like collateral options are run through Axlar.
4: Awesome. That's, that's good to hear. It seems like Axelar is the number one pick for most Cosmos DeFi chains at this point. It is interesting to see the consolidation of risk around a single bridge, even though it's essentially just a massive proof-of-stake chain
2: securing, securing a bridge. But just I was just curious on the bridge front, Bisco, if you want to take this No, thanks, Carter. Uh, yeah, I think we, we obviously share a super similar sentiment um, towards sustainability. As, as far as like what we, you we were saying, um, Brennan, about kind of being aware of your TVL over the first couple of years and not not aiming for cr- getting this crazy high, crazy high TVL um, as quickly as possible, and that that really does, I agree, kind of fit into that maturity kind of sentiment that we were talking about earlier of of teams where there is there's definitely a level of maturity that teams have to have to. In a way, re- self self restrict on on growth in order to make sure that what products we're creating are sustainable for the long term, rather rather than just for a short boom. So shared Protocol definitely shares shares that ethos, and it's it's always encouraging to hear other products that that focus um, largely largely on sustainability.
4: Yeah, question a question I have is I know I know right now the there's six forms of collateral that are supported on UMI, USDC, Atom, Dai, UMI, ETH, and Bitcoin, I think. I'm curious what the plans are to expand those collateral options, and what does it mean to like stimulate the lending and borrowing, or is that something that you have no intention of stimulating and you're just leaving it up to the market to organically create those markets?
5: Yeah, so right now um, we're focused on adding IBC assets first and foremost. That's what the historical update that Waz is talking about is for. Um, really, the, the whole reason we even came up with the idea of historical was because we started looking at um, stride assets specifically, like ST STATOM. Um, and we were like, well, you know, it's one of the largest pools on osmosis. But if you compare it with like, you know, the, the mango markets attack, right? It's actually much easier to manipulate something like that because of its liquidity levels. And so we realized, OK, we can't use spot prices. We can't even use like three minute TWAP or anything like that. It has to be longer. It has to be more secure in order to support these. Um, I think um, uh, com- the compound in Aave and a bunch of other uh, mo- money markets actually removed uh, a bunch of long tail assets that, they were basically saying um, we're unsafe and they had a lot more liquidity than the things we were thinking about adding. So it was clear to us that we wanted to support these things. We, wanted, we didn't want to take like the easier route of just saying, hey, don't support them. Um, and that's where historical came from. So once we have that in, which we're trying to get into test net right now, and then we'll test for a, for a, a few weeks and then probably launch in the main net. Um, once that's in, we're gonna be adding all the stride, uh, the major stride. So starting with SP Atom, also looking at ST Osmo, ST Stars, SD ST Juno, all those good things. Um, we're also going to be adding the native assets, things that would have come directly from one or two DEXs, like a Juno, for example. So you're going to see a lot of different forms of uh, collateral that haven't been used anywhere
2: else before.
3: Yeah, and, uh, and one of the other problems that we've been facing is um, data is hard to come by in the Cosmos right now. Um, most of the trading of Cosmos happens on Osmosis. And the APIs for Osmosis, um, they're either delayed, they're um, not really sustainable. You know, we can't really access that data all the time. So we've we've actually spent a good amount of time building indexers for uh, Osmosis to make sure that we're still following volume and time-based transactions. So we're weighting all of these prices correctly before deciding on um, whether or not you can trade on them, whether or not you can use this price or that price for that token to open that position. So that's been another problem that we've had to tackle. Uh, but we built out that infrastructure for uh, for the the OHO and for the UMI team. And uh, validators are going to start relaying that information once we start uh, listing these assets.
4: Could Could you walk us through what that attack vector looks like, kind of the user story of the attack vector when you have an immature lending market tied to low volume, high liquidity, or low liquidity, whatever the scenario is, I'd, I'd love to like, actually walk through the steps and, and, and kind of observe it.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's actually two attack vectors. It, they go in opposite direction. There's the pump attack, and then there's a dump attack. And so the way this works is if, if an attacker or, or a market manipulator knows you only get your prices from one DEX, which think about IBC assets, Typically, they're only really majorly supported by osmosis right now. And so that is pretty much all the assets we're trying to add. Now, the way this would work is if uh, an attacker has access to a decent amount of funds. And I think Money uh, Mango Markets was hacked using, I don't know, like $100 million or something like that. Um, I don't remember the specifics, but it's around there. And so if you have an, a, a decent amount of capital to to this attack, what you could do is you start off with... Um, say like a uh, USDC amount. You start that off, you use that as collateral on a, on a money market that uses this. You borrow a bunch of, a li- of an illiquid asset. Say you borrow, um, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but I think the, the attack uh, sample used REN um, from if you follow like Abraham Eisen, he kind of walked, uh, walked everybody through this, is they, they use REN on Ethereum, for example. And so what you do is you borrow a bunch of REN you transfer that to another account you use that as collateral to borrow a bunch of uh say USDC or something like that what you can do from there is use that USDC to pump the price of ren um to an ungodly level um depending on what the liquidity is so say for example the liquidity of this asset is like 10 million dollars on osmosis and they have access to quite a few funds um this is all mitigated to some extent by like rate limiting and stuff like that. But say they in a perfect scenario, they have access to the funds. If they use those funds to pump that asset and it's only like a $10 million pool, you could theoretically get this up to, I mean, if you have another $10 million, that's more than doubling it. Um, it Really it's you, you could get it up to, I think some of the examples that we ran were up to like 10 xing some of these assets and what that would do. Is that would take your original um, account with Ren or whatever the attack uh, option is as collateral? That would now be worth ten times what it was before, and so you could use that to drain the money market of all of its funds. So, for example, if you if you looked at Umi and say you did this with um, say we had you know say we had Chihuahua on there, right? Because Chihuahua is a very low liquidity coin at this moment. If you had that as collateral. And you were able to do this so that you pump the price of of Chihuahua collateral to like 10x that. You could use that to then drain a bunch of our USDC, sell immediately dump your Chihuahua, and then you're you're walking off with quite a bit of USDC and UMI is stuck with a bunch of bad debt. That's exactly what we're trying to prevent. And in the opposite of that, basically you would do a dump attack. So you would start with something, um, you, you would basically do the same sort of manipulation. But you would dump an asset so that you could borrow an unlimited amount of it from the money market. So, if you were taking that same Huawei example, if you were able to dump the price of Huawei to say, you know, half of what it is, you could drain Huawei from the Umi system, and then uh, you could just pump it back up by by rebuying. So it's there's a there's a couple different ways that this attack is done, um, but it's all mid it's all basically uh, centered around being able to manipulate the price in a short amount of time that's how these medians work to fight against it is that there will always be a difference um there's by focusing on a longer term you're you're seeing the difference there
4: gotcha thank you <laughs> thank you for that rundown that's super that's super helpful it's essentially like you manipulate price to, to either make the collateral overvalued or you're able to borrow against like
5: a super undervalued collateral so
4: is that essentially how it works
5: yeah, that's exactly right. And it's it's exacerbated by being able to borrow those collateral amount, those collateral options. So like for us specifically, we're making like the stride assets be collateral options, but you won't be able to borrow the stride assets. And what that does, because really, who would want to borrow an asset that's appreciating um, every day? That means your debt is going up every day. Um, so there's not much of a use case for it. Um, we'll We'll eventually integrate it in but it'll protect us from some of that profitability of that attack as well. Gotcha. And so
4: the main defense against this is having a strong enough integrated you know, data system where an outlier, a massive price movement, it's essentially ignored. And then whoever's performing the attack is taking on all that slip at risk and they're not actually able to do what they want to do. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. That that makes, that makes total sense. Um, huh. You'll you hope that other lending platforms are thinking as deeply about this as you guys, because that's uh, a very nerve-wracking thing to think about, especially since it sounds like because Cosmos is so Liquid, these attacks are actually significantly easier to perform than other L1 counterparts.
3: Yeah. Um. Th- this information is going to be available via our Cosmos and contracts on OHO as well. So hopefully... Maybe uh, maybe Mars will use some of our data. Yeah, I've
4: heard Mars has like a very specific risk framework. I, I haven't seen or heard the details on it, but it's it's cool to see multiple different lending protocols. And um, okay, so let's 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 play the, the counterpoint to this. What what's the the trade offs of these types of protections? Because they're essentially programmatic
5: regulations, correct? So the, the trade-off would be a little bit of like borrowing power essentially. So say you're in a market downtrend, there will be some differences between like your spot price borrowing power and your say a median-based borrowing power. So it's gonna be a situation where you can't borrow as much um in certain situations. Um and that's that's really a trade-off we're kind of willing to take. Like and I think it kind of speaks to the ethos of Umi in that we're taking a safety first approach but also allowing different assets so like it's kind of it's kind of like a it's a little bit of a paradox because we're supporting some of the most risky assets, but we're doing it in the safest way possible um and I think that's the the approach you have to have in cosmos because of the low liquidity and also just to um touch on that i think one one of the things that makes cosmos uniquely vulnerable to something like this as well is the high staking rates because there's not as much like when you think about cosmos versus something like uh, i don't know like a bitcoin or something like that there's a high amount of staking and, and and most of the tokens or or a good portion of them are bonded which does reduce the ability to do things like arbitrage and 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 kind of adjust for these situations and so that's why these uh, these protections are even more important for cosmos
4: i'm i'm curious do you, do you think the dexes should play a part in creating these protections because it sounds like as a lending protocol you're essentially having to design a system around decks that doesn't have any safeguards against these types of things so do you think the onus is on the dexes to detect these or do you think that like the DEXs should be purely
5: free markets and it's up to the lending protocols to measure risk. Yeah, I'm sort of a free market person on this. I think that they they are protecting a little bit though. Like for example, like Osmosis is doing rate limiting. Um, If they can do like outward bound uh, rate limiting and inward bound, um, I think that that will help Um, and we'll be integrating some rate limiting as well. But I think it's ultimately on the money market to protect themselves because the DEX has to focus on being the best DEX possible. Um, if they don't, then the cosmos is reduced uh, in terms of like its effectiveness. We have to focus on being the best money market, and that means safety for us. Um, I think specialization is really important to keep cosmos going.
3: Yeah, I mean it all. It all comes back to the app chain thesis, right? If the dex can focus on being the best free market, we can focus on having the best safety parameters for our leverage for our oracle, um, and and really. It, it, it very much concerns us if we can break our bank, but it doesn't really concern osmosis if Yumi breaks. And, um, you know, I think that's a necessary part of how Cosmos works, but it also means that we all have to watch our own backs in a way.
4: Yeah. So that's a, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful answer. and I'm, I'm, I'm largely in, a, in agreement with it. Well, one question I have is, like, within this IBC context, because UMI isn't sitting directly on top of um, the like the majority of liquidity, aka osmosis. Walk me through the limitations and restrictions that are introduced due to kind of the asynchronous nature of, you know, UMI versus another blockchain that it has to gather information from tied to its lending market. I guess the, the challenges of asynchronous like time gaps, I guess if that makes sense for, for Arbor's and for like the lending platform itself.
3: Um, I think... It that's kind of hard to answer because I don't really see many differences between the limitations of using something like osmosis and using something like an API from a centralized exchange in order to limit um you know the borrowing and lending because um essentially the asynchronous nature allows us to accept a block as finality um, we wait for a block in order to process and you know, uh, send transaction and information back to the UMI side because it doesn't exist yet until the block is finalized. And I, I don't really think that's much of a problem. Um, it hasn't been. It's a little tricky on the technological side, but essentially all of our uh, the indexing that we've done um, is kind of, uh, it's agnostic to that idea because of the fact that once a block is finalized, then and only then is it the truth. And then and only then can we uh, index that information. Um, Obviously, there's some concerns around like osmosis going down. Um, You know, if we have a bunch of assets that are dependent on a DEX that can go down, we have to have safety considerations around that. But luckily for us, those safety considerations can just be halting uh, borrowing and lending because why would we allow borrowing and lending while osmosis doesn't allow trading on an asset that only exists on osmosis so a lot of ways to kind of see that but i i really don't see it as much of a disadvantage
5: yeah the only thing that might be a little disadvantage is maybe the ux at at its current place i mean um i've been using umi and like a a bunch of different decks to you know yield farm and do different strategies to arb yeah I've, i've been dipping in the closed sauce um and arbing usk a little bit and so um I haven't had, in terms of my own perspective, much of a UX issue. I think the, that the part we have to overcome and abstract definitely is IBC itself. Like, at the end of the day, a user shouldn't know or, or have to know what chain they're operating on, um, what, what the sort of back end is to a solution. And right now, it's painfully obvious. You have to do IBC transfers between protocols. Each one has their own way of doing it in terms of the UI. I think once we're able to abstract that away, I think that a lot of this goes away with things like interchain accounts, interchain queries, and and so forth. Yeah, I, I like the
4: I like the perspective. the The one piece of pushback I'll give is from an Arbor standpoint that that delay by having to borrow from an external blockchain and then bridge that collateral back over to the center point of liquidity would create some sort of delay. And so whoever has the closest localized lending platform to the primary source of liquidity is going to have an advantage as an ARB player. And, and ARB is like winner takes all in terms of speed. So that, that's, that's a component I'm really curious to see how much that impacts UMI versus whatever other lending platforms
5: emerge, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, if you're, say, for example, like Mars is going to have a natural advantage on osmosis. That's just the fact of being built on them. Um, we're also exploring, you know, like an outpost strategy, but really we want to focus on building out an actual leverage hub before we explore, like, you know, going on different solutions, like, um, say like an archway or something like that. But, um, really, yeah, what you're touching on our arbitrage time does matter for that. But I think that because Cosmos is so nascent at this point, still the actual amount of like profitability you can get from a lot of these things is, is decently high to the point of umi not really having a disadvantage there like you uh, i mean in the past few i would say weeks you could arb like usk down from like a buck 10 at certain points or a buck oh eight um and that's a stable coin so like these opportunities do exist and they will continue to exist as like more and more chains adopt and there's new things there's a lot of liquidity incentives especially when the bull comes back and i think that umi's decently situated to capture a lot of that value and I I think a,
3: an interesting thing to add on is this is one of the most difficult uh, problems to solve in uh, you know getting information from a, a blockchain that exists in a different space right that's the whole oracle problem um, that that arbitration also exists with uh, simple network latency right if you were on the uh, New York Stock Exchange and you had an Ethernet cable plugged into the computer that has all the information of what prices are, you're gonna beat everyone that's on Wi-Fi. But at the same time, we have to build an Oracle solution for a leverage protocol that's slow and, and carries these medians and uh, can tell whether or not the price is spiking or dropping dramatically. So we, you know, there's a lot of uh, things to consider in that. And um, th- these are things we have meetings about like all the goddamn time, but... Um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm curious. Do you, do you see like uh, one of the things with interchain security is the concept of like shared validator sets? Do you do you ever envision a world where like Umi could share validators with other liquidity hubs to try to like reduce that type of latency as a as a nice bonus in addition to security?
5: I was. Do you do you have an opinion on that?
3: Um. Yeah. I I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen in the short term just because of validator profitability, right? Um, we, we would have to make sure the validators are still profitable running multiple um, validations on multiple chains and sharing that information. But at the same time, um, we still have that latency, right? We still have to post prices. We still have um, our five block latency with, you know, the, the showing your cards process that we have. Um uh, so i think that could solve some of it uh just that direct network latency but it, it it's difficult to say whether or not it actually
5: um solves the problem of being on two separate chains. Brandon, you want to go ahead? Yeah, i would just say, you know, a bunch or or all of the cosmos chains sharing one validator set or something even near that does scare uh me quite a bit um just from the centralization risk. Um i do believe that, you know, different chains if we do, if we actually believe in the app chain vision, right? I would think that validators on different app chains would have different sort of expertise, different viewpoints. Like someone that's focused on privacy, isn't necessarily someone who's going to be focused on like a DeFi chain or like a leverage or something like that. Like I feel like there's there's different special specialities there. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of the the personal aspect of it. I think realistically though. You're, you're seeing a lot of chains aren't profitable for validators as it is right now. Um, you're seeing validators turning off certain nodes. And I think that consolidation will have to happen. Um, I kind of think something like a mesh security will probably happen more logically than um, or it will be more acceptable to a lot of folks than ICS is initially for like the existing projects. I think newer projects will probably choose ICS. But um, yeah, it's, there's got to be some sort of shared security process. For UMI specifically, um, I can't drop too much alpha, but we are building out, you know, quite a little ecosystem with Oho uh, dropping. And we have a couple other products dropping too in Q1 of next year. And there, there is an opportunity to at least experiment with some sort of shared security between those. Not as like a, a sort of like competitor to ICS, but as an add-on essentially um i can't get too much into it because it's very like we're, we're still just in the barely talking about it stages but it's something that we're thinking about
4: that's very exciting i look forward to hearing that alpha whenever it drops in 2023 but speaking of 2023 as a retrospective since we're coming to the close of the year what were the the hardest lessons that umi learned in, in 2022 and, and and where where do you believe umi is headed in 2023
5: um Brandon, you want to take this one? Um, you didn't learn anything in 2022. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll do learnings. Yeah, what did um, you learn in Columbia?
3: Was now maybe you should oh, talk God. about that. No. Yeah, no, maybe I shouldn't talk about Columbia. No, um, I mean one of the biggest things that um, we've learned is uh, kind of how to really interact with the Cosmos community. You know, a lot of the the players at Umi are not Cosmos native people. We, you know, um, we got. Onboarded from various ecosystems, a lot of us are from, you know, the e-commerce side. But uh, really, learning to deal with uh, open source and be incredibly collaborative with people. Um, when we were in Columbia, and we were launching our our uh, native leverage module in the Oracle module, it was difficult. I'm not going to lie. We we had a few chain halts. Um, we had a few issues that we could have tested for um, from a technological standpoint it you know it's it's something where there were cases that we could have covered, and there's tooling that we've uh worked on to improve that in our products moving forward from an interpersonal standpoint it's a lot of uh interacting with validators, making sure people are educated, making sure that um you're you're gathering people's input on test nets and on uh making sure that the code is as transparent and readable as possible so that you can accept input from outside sources so i I think those, uh, those things have hugely contributed to where we are today, um, because they're hard lessons to learn, especially when your, your chain stops working a few times, but we got it going, we got it moving forward. I think in the next year, um, you're going to see a lot of the the lessons that we have learned at Yumi, um, be utilized for, uh, the inner chain for Cosmos. Again, I can't talk too much about the alpha that, uh, Brandon mentioned, but, uh, you know we have a lot of lessons around um how how problems that we've had to solve and um we want to bring those solutions as a service to the grander cosmos in the near future
5: uh, Brandon you want to go ahead yeah i think um i think maybe our biggest lesson of 2022 is to not be afraid Brandon i think you're cutting out again buddy um, sorry metro pcs i think but uh no, um, I, I think the biggest lesson of 2022 is just learning to not sort of um, not be afraid to break some boundaries in terms of what we're building. I think that a lot of the stuff that you're going to see in 2023 is, is some really out there stuff. Um, we, we really focused on, I mean, we're still focused on stability, but we, we were really conservative in approach um, on a lot of things. We wanted to be safe. We wanted to, you know, not test the waters too much on a lot of our feature set. And sometimes that led to decisions that delayed things that, um, you know, that pushed things back. And I think now we've adopted, uh, I think we're number one, we're a lot more comfortable with the SDK um, in terms of like, you know, possibly being experts at it at this point because we've worked with it so much. We've got a really kick ass team now. Um, I think that we're just, we've got so much momentum with us that I think we're willing to test the boundaries even more. And I think Q1 of uh, 2023, you're going to see a lot of that.
4: That's uh, super exciting to hear. I think it's like 2022 will be the year where the world remembered a lot of things breaking, but the really quality builders, you know, learned a lot of lessons about being patient and doing things the right way. And I think um, you reap what you sow. And I think those that were patient and are lifelong learners and are excited to do things the right way, I think 2023 and 2024 is gonna be the year of, of those
2: folks. The quiet folks, the the builders with the vision and on sustainability. Yeah, a hundred percent agree there. Agree there, Carter and and Umi team. Um, with the with the last ten minutes here, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us back from from product from stuff specifically and to to community and pass it pass it on. If there's community questions, now would be the time to throw something in the in the comments here or request to speak and we can bring you up to to ask a question to the to the Umi team. Uh while we're while we're waiting for any of those to come through and Dalton to bring to bring those guys up. Uh, Umi is there anything that you that we missed that you want to cover or any questions that you have for us?
3: Why do you want to put a a little bit? I I think I've I've mentioned Oracle's like 20 times during this call already. Um <laughs> But yeah, OHO is going to be a, a service that we're founding um, that I'm, I'm heading up that is essentially going to be the, the Oracle of the cosmos. We've seen a huge um, delay in the existing Oracle infrastructure for supporting assets for different protocols. Um, I mean, Shade, we've even talked about, you know, what we're going to build together using OHO. Um, and, you know, every time I have a conversation with a protocol, it's, uh, you know, it comes down to, oh, you know, we need information on this asset that's a Cosmos native asset. Uh, the most uh, information that most uh, existing oracles have about Cosmos is the price of Atom. Uh, we really want to expand that. And we want to build the base layer infrastructure for um, anyone to build anything, uh, you know, competitive lending protocols, um, you know, more stable coins. It's, it's absolutely necessary to not just have, have these pricing information but also have these safety features that I've been talking about that we're utilizing on the UMI side. Um, So I think bringing, um, you know, our expertise with, you know, building out these indexers, making sure that we have safe price feeds, all of that, along with these safety features that we have to have when we're building a mature lending protocol, those are going to come and they're going to make, you know, all these other protocols that are going to come in the next year, five years for uh, the Cosmos way more mature because they're going to have a legitimate and a useful Oracle solution for the cosmos, which I'm very excited about.
5: Um, but yeah, that's, that's my Oho shill Brandon. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, just in general, I think 2023 is going to be huge for UMI. Um, it's going to be huge, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be dropping in terms of not just Oho, but by the, by the end of Q1 of, uh, 2023, you'll probably see Umi launching another uh, app chain as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we see as missing from Cosmos in terms of um, total sort of uh, support for like institutional investors, money, mar- uh, like market makers. There's a lot of missing gaps there that we think will will that we can fill, so that Cosmos DeFi can take the next step uh, in terms of competing with an Ethereum and, and a Binance and and all the all that good stuff. So. Uh, we think that we can help um, move that DeFi system forward. And so we'll be launching quite a few products um, in the early part of next year and all throughout the year. Well, consider
4: Shade first in line for testing any sort of Oracle product because we're we're chomping at the bit for, for better Oracles. And I know we're not alone on that front. So really, really appreciate the hard work you guys are putting in on that front. And very, very curious about what app chains you guys have been up in 2023.
1: You uh you beat me to it Carter. <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will bring Red Eye bear up. Uh he has a question here so Red you should be on stage in a in a second welcome. I think I think you're up now Red, right?
3: It looks like you're on mute currently. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, sweet. I uh, just want to say hello, everyone. Uh, this has been a great conversation uh, listening to Brandon and Waz describe uh, Umi. Um, apologize if my question is a bit redundant. I've had to hop in and out of the space today because of work. But can either Waz or Brandon provide a quick description of the core problem or problems, considering you guys have a few different product lines, um, provide a quick description of the core problem that Umi is trying to solve and who you see as your most likely initial consumer base? who's experiencing the problem you're trying to solve. Brandon, I'll uh, I'll leave the leverage
5: side to you, man. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I think that some of the initial problems that we're trying to solve is, number one, support of long-tail assets. Um, I think that's something that's unique to Cosmos. Um, so the users that we're, we're attracting are Cosmos users um, who are having this. But also anyone, um, it's not just going to be a Cosmos solution. In the long run, Umi will be supporting anything that can connect to Cosmos, whether it's through like uh, ZK bridges for like IBC uh, relayers, stuff like that, to like Ethereum, but also like any ecosystem really. And so what you have is when when an ecosystem is trying to start up their their um, say their token or, or whatever it may be, there's an initial period where there's it's really hard to bring liquidity in. It's really hard to have sort of any basis in order to legitimize that asset. And so Umi can really form the basis of that by bringing um, a decent amount of uh, custom of uh, a user base, but also bringing a decent amount of leverage and sort serving as that hub. Um you can have long tail assets and and any sort of new ecosystems being supported in ways that they weren't before. So instead of having like for example for for a lot of like folks with um with Cosmos there's a lot of like liquidity incentives that have to go into it. There's a lot of um, inflationary aspects to it. I think that if you have the right tooling, um, you can actually avoid a lot of that and still get a get a good user base if your product is cool and I think Umi can help that by being that sort of leverage hub for a lot of these ecosystems um, on top of that, I think that there's a lot of sort of sophisticated investors within cosmos that aren't able to do certain things that they want to do and I think some of those things are like building out bearish and, and delta neutral LP positions. I know that's something that I, I like to do with their, in terms of like hedging so that I'm not totally um, at risk of like price movement when I'm providing liquidity and impermanent loss. That's something that's possible with UMI that isn't possible um, in any sort of way in Cosmos right now. And so those are the those are the key aspects. It's Really, I guess if I could break it down to one person, it's the more sophisticated investor that's in Cosmos. That really wants to unlock um, their liquidity. They want capital efficiency, and they want to pursue very advanced strategies. That's who we're serving with with the leverage module.
3: Yeah, and on the Oracle side, um, originally our first customer for our Oracle was ourselves, right? Um, we're building this lending protocol that doesn't have an automated market maker as a part of it, and what we've seen in Cosmos is everything um, becomes fragmented. If everyone is required to have a market maker as a part of their app chain, so that's why uh, that's why we see Mars building on Osmosis, is because they have that information natively. But um, our oracles really for the protocol that wants to build um, uh, essentially anything that uh, doesn't have a market maker on it. So yeah, you know, if if you want information about these assets that are coming up. On, um, on Cosmos, you know, uh, sometimes every month there's a new set of assets, right? Um, we want to be first to market with that. We want to allow builders to um, create these, you know, what, whatever unique idea they have, if, whether it's a stable coin, whether it's a lending protocol, whether it's, um, you know, even a stable swap or something like that, like what Osmosis is building. You shouldn't have to have native uh, trading on your platform in order to have pricing information. So I I think that's really it uh, for the short term. Uh, For the long term, we're going to be a a complex uh, data hub for the Cosmos. We're going to deal with information that will allow people to package bonds together. We're going to deal with information that will allow people to um, tie information to their identity. right? And and we're going to really build out these unique indexers for these unique uh, cases of data that are are going to allow like uh, identity management in the cosmos. So uh, really, we're we're kind of B two B, right? We want to allow people to build what they want to build in the cosmos, and we're filling a gap where um, people are limiting their products because of the limited information. Um, but yeah, that's it for uh, the Oracle side.
1: Perfect. I don't I don't see Red up here anymore. So maybe he unfortunately lost connection. Um, but. Appreciate the answers, uh, both Waz and Brandon. I guess we are at the top of the hour. Um, it is noon for for where I am located. Um, obviously everyone else is kind of spread out around the around the area. But um yeah, I think I think we can call it a space. Um as always, guys, appreciate it so much to have you to have you both on and, and Umi as well, just in general. It's a it's a very, very interesting conversation whenever we have the ability to talk to each other. So Always appreciate it. Um, You guys are welcome anytime. And for anybody that doesn't already follow UMI, uh, please follow them at UMI underscore Crosschain and check out their website and check out what they're what they're building. Um, Obviously, there's been a been a little bit of alpha dropped on this on this Twitter space. So always, always very fun to hear about the, the stuff that's upcoming as well. Um, and if you don't follow us, uh, you can follow us at Shade underscore Protocol, and then you can visit our website as well at ShadeProtocol.io. But Carter and Fisco, if you guys have anything else to to say, um, please please do so, and then we can call it a day. I
2: got nothing. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Yumi guys. Happy building, and have a wonderful new year. Thanks, guys. See ya.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was into the interchain with Shade Protocol and Yumi Crosschain. Recorded on Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Waking up like a basement dweller. Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling. 2020, what an ugly shit show. Staring at the fucking ring roll from the get go. Looking outside, the whole state's on fire. The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars? Can replace the writers with AI just like us. Emaciated models killing bright birds. First in, last out, picture me rolling. The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The perks going to cash cow, country stolen. Drooling over chicken
6: analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability.
0: Stitching these writings, living that life like, who would have guessed, you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret, print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet. I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks, looking at the rectangles, damn they kinda thick, we've gone through a whole lot of kings here.
6: I, I live in New York City, where in our harbor we have a statue. If you melt the water ice that's on, on land, the ocean level will rise to reach her left elbow. That takes out all of New York City. And basically every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization.
0: spaces